now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. I'll be back. My name is Bond, James Bond. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. My name is Nero Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. I see dead people. Mississippi Alpha 5! You are a toy! This is Retake, and we're here to talk all about the cinematic arts. And that includes new films, old films, animated films, live action films, comic book films, TV shows, old action films, anything we want to talk about, really. In this episode, it's an office Christmas party, an awkward meeting of strange partners, Hans Gruber is up to all kinds of shenanigans, and ultimately we're going to throw him off Nakatomi Tower. Spoiler alert. To talk about this Christmas classic with me today, I am joined by someone who has not been on retake before, but he has been on podcast with me on my previous podcast before. It is Mikey Fizzle. What's up, Fizz? Finally. Finally. has come back to a TJ Draper podcast. The party can now get started. (laughs) That's right. Oh, man, it's so good to be here. Yes, and we're going to talk about uh, one of, I think, possibly, maybe, to hear you talk about it anyway, one of your favorite films, maybe? Oh, it is. Would you put it in your top ten? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think it is in my top ten all time. Something that I was challenged to do over the past year was create a top 100. And I would have to go find my Evernote list. But I don't <laughs> I don't think it's in my top ten. But that should not be a strike against it because the things in the top ten, I think, are all really excellent films. Needless to say, when it comes to action films, this would easily probably be in the top three. Um, okay. If good, not, yes. if not right at the top of action films, like I said, I, I'd have to go revisit my top 100 and the top 100, like any good moviegoer is probably very fluid anyway. So, oh yeah, yeah. But the, yes, the, right the, near there the top. are really only two or three that have never moved off of the near my top list, but, but yeah, it is a kind of a fluid thing and, and your tastes change over time. But, but this film die hard uh, for me has just been one of the ones that just stays up near the top of my list. Just, it's just a good solid action film that has good directing, good acting, good script. I mean, a great script. I mean, come on, it's well written. Uh, so so I, I'm not I'm not even joking. I know people, oh, it's just a big dumb action flick, but I don't feel that like this is a big dumb action yeah, flick. Yeah, but it's so much more than so, that. It is. It really is. So let me tell you a little bit about this film. This is Die Hard. It was uh, released in 1988. Believe it or not, it was July 20th, even though it's Christmas time. It's kind of weird to me. I didn't realize that before I looked it up. So it was released on July 20th of 1988. The director was John McTiernan. Uh, the production budget was $28 million. They made this movie for $28 million, Fizz. Can you believe that? The dollar went a lot further in, ni- in the 1980s. <laughs> it did, but I think that this movie was also very economic and it's just the way they did things. The worldwide gross was $140.7 million. So uh, given inflation and all the way that all that works back in 1988, I don't even know what that translates to, but a lot more than that uh, given today's dollar. Well, and that's just the box so, office. Not to, not to interrupt, but uh, just to no, make no, sure I'm understanding, that's, you're talking about just the box office take, right? Uh, whatever box office mojo says is the worldwide gross. I would assume that's just box office. Yeah, because it, I think it can't be understated 
that this film probably through like Bruce Willis probably goes to his mailbox once a month and gets a syndication <laughs> check for Die Hard on you know oh, TNT and probably a big one. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, and it's not small. Yeah, like this movie, it still sells Blu-ray copies, special edition. You know, every every. And I'm not even talking about getting checks from the Die Hard series. I'm talking about getting a check from this film. Yes, yes, for sure. I I, I would totally believe that. Um, I I don't know if there's a way to verify that, but I'm I I'm <laughs> going to believe you. I'm going to choose to believe you, Fizz. So yes, uh, Bruce Willis is cashing in on this. He is the star of this show as John McClane. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia. I did not practice this before I went into here. She plays Holly Gennaro <laughs> mm-hmm. McLean, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell, uh, Al Powell. That's a tongue twister. Paul Gleason, a uh, deputy chief, chief uh, deputy, deputy police chief, Dwayne T. Robinson. What a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> William Atherton as Richard Thornburg, uh, Hart Bachner as Harry Ellis. He's also a jerk and kind of a, uh, a sad character. Uh, James. Shigeta as Joseph Yoshinobu Takagi, uh, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber, uh, best bad guy ever, and Devaru White as uh, Argyle. I hope I'm saying his first name right. I really don't know. <laughs> and the composer was Michael Kamen. Now, Fizz, um, this movie, it's, it's, uh, it's one that I revisit every year. You were talking about how they've made so much money off it. Certainly, I mean – Certainly, they made money off of me. I've I've uh, purchased it in a couple of different forms. Yep. Uh, I watch it. It's part of my Christmas list of movies that must be watched in mm-hmm. December, and it has now been watched. Man, uh, what what about you? Well, I would say we talked about before. Where does this rank? You know, uh, on whatever list. And while I again, I can't remember where it is in my top one hundred, and I can I can pretty much guarantee it's right right near the top of my action movie list. I uh, without a doubt, uh, without hesitation can tell you that this movie is at the top of my Christmas movie lists. Uh-huh. It, it is my favorite Christmas movie. And, you know, this is this is the part of the conversation where if I'm having uh, having it with a Joe guy off the street that we can debate, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not? I, 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 I'm, I'm so convinced that it is my confirmation bias wouldn't really hear it any other way. So <laughs> I, I freely admit that. But uh, I love it. I, I it's something that since I've been married, I only think we've missed maybe once or twice due to either illness or extenuating circumstance. But my wife, we go to our church's Christmas Eve service and we come home and we watch Die Hard uh, by the fire, stockings hung, um, you know, <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun and <laughs> and, you know, go, go to go to dream, uh, go to sleep with dreams of Bruce Willis sugar plums in our head. So it it is, it is, it is wonderful. I love that my wife watches this film with me. Um, I often say, you know, is this the best Christmas movie or the greatest Christmas movie? Uh, not only that, but it's something that I did not realize how influential, how influential it was until I went back and started doing some research on the film for when we, cause this was our Christmas episode on my podcast, real world theology, I think last year or the year before, yeah, I have um, a vague memory of, of listening to that, and yeah. I, I think I think that must be why I thought, oh, he loves this movie. Maybe oh, yeah. I'll have him on the show. <laughs> it's basically it's basically an hour and probably 15, 20 minutes of me talking about how much I love this movie, and other people were there just to listen to it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I apologize in advance that I'm probably going to be doing that again, but uh, no like, problem. Like really looking back into the film, I I didn't realize there were some things that happened or the things about this film 
that actually not not just make it like enjoyable. It's not just fun. It's 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 not just cool. It it is actually historic. Um, and I think the thing that surprised me the most is uh, the director. Um, oh, what was his John, name? John John, John McTiernan. Yeah. So this wasn't like his only famous movie. Like he he's responsible for the Hunt for October, for Predator, Thirteenth mm-hmm. Warrior, Last Action Hero, lots of other movies that are uh, like pretty big, pretty famous. Um, but specifically, so he directs Predator in 1987. In 1988, he directs Die Hard, and this is a this is a pivotal and very important thing I think to to film go or to moviegoers to film buffs because in 1987, what it looked like to be an action hero was Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're talking like Dolph Lundgren. You're talking uh, you know big muscly like the guy that's full of testosterone Um, and and he looks (laughs) like it, you know, and I have no problem with this. I love watching old Schwarzenegger. I like watching like commando and things like that. But what, what the shift does is in 1988, we have an action movie with a hero that is not Schwarzenegger. That is not huge. Like it's not like muscle bound or whatever. And sure. Bruce Willis is strong and he's, he's got all kinds of charisma. He's very uh, macho, um, in the everyman kind of way. But what he does is he does bring that everyman to the film. And from then on, from 88 on, we see a shift that suddenly um, the, you know, John Smith off the street is can be our hero. He can be our everyman hero. He doesn't have to be, you know, pumping iron and doing all kinds of crazy things, you know, to, <laughs> to he doesn't have to have like the biggest machine gun, like. You know, ridiculous. Like he can just be the the guy with good intentions who's resourceful, and that that changes action movies forever. Well, and in this film specifically, like you're saying, like like he is such a he's such a relatable character. Where where with the older action heroes, like you're like you're saying with uh, with Schwarzenegger and and uh, Sylvester Stallone and these sorts of things, like they're not really relatable. They're like on it. They're, they're like more. Uh, you they're like superheroes. You have them up in this. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's a, a sense in which Willis is much more. I mean, sure, he's he's you know in shape and everything, but he doesn't have these big hulking. You know, especially when you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's the he doesn't flex his biceps and 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 bust buildings. You know, yeah. And, but but Willis, and more than that, Willis somehow he's relatable. Like the you know muttering to himself things that you're, you'd be thinking and and just you know almost getting inside your head. Um, and, and that's, that's one of the things I love about this film. And, and as you say, it was so influential in moving forward in action films and not just being caricatures of themselves the way they used to be, you know, mm-hmm. these big, the, and, and not to say there's no testosterone drivenness in this film, oh, yeah. but it's a different, it's entirely different. It, it feels entirely different than what you got before. And I think I, I think I mentioned I can't remember if I mentioned before we started recording or or after we started recording. So I'll say it again. Like the script to this film is just so um, tight and well put together. And the line like it's it's not dumb dialogue. It's not expositional. It is. I mean, you know, all dialogue has some exposition in it, but it's it's there that serves purpose and drives things forward. I just I love this film so much. <laughs> Will Willie, tell me more about it. <laughs> well, so <laughs> so that's the thing. I, I would say that the the hero that we get in John McClane and and the reason that I think this connects with audiences a lot is because it's one of the closest things to an Indiana Jones like action movie hero. And, and while while the Indiana Jones films are are to a certain degree action films, they're they're more like adventure 
kind of discovery films, um, which I know, I know I'm kind of splitting hairs there, but uh, like I said, we're talking the difference between like watching Indiana Jones and calling it an action film and watching, like I said, commando or Rambo and calling it um, an action film. Like they're obviously a little bit different. So what, yeah, so, what yeah. so, so what John McClane does is he brings back that every man, like uh, you know, that ultimately, uh, you know, Harrison Ford uh, as Indiana Jones is probably going to triumph, but he's not like, like you said, like busting down a building with his muscles. Like he's not punching through, <laughs> punching somebody to death. Like he's punching somebody, but it hurts him. Uh, like he bleeds. He's not impervious. Yes. He's not, he's yes. not larger than life. And, and what we get and, and probably where Die Hard eventually as a series kind of goes wrong is John McClane is a flawed uh, weak, susceptible, um, but strong-willed every man. And it's, it's like when you get, you know, probably into, uh, to a certain degree, die hard with a vengeance, but really mostly like live free or die hard and a good day to die hard. That's when he stops being the every man and he turns into like a superhero. Um, and, and those movies don't connect with people as much. They're like, Oh, it's an amazing stunt. And obviously he's going to live, through blowing up a helicopter or something. I don't even care because he becomes, uh, or he, he gravitates away from being the thing that we fell in love with. Yeah. Basically uh, to, to, if you want to know whether a diehard movie is good, look and see whether Bruce Willis has any hair or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's not entirely true. I, 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 you know, you're, I think we've seen a progressive moving away from the way the series started. I think Die Hard 2 – actually, Die Hard 2 may be my second least favorite. Die Hard with a Vengeance is pretty good. I enjoyed Live Free or Die Hard, and A Good Day to Die Hard, I pretend doesn't exist. It's an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> that, that said, we're talking about 1988's Die Hard. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but that's the thing. So it's about – this is why – like I said, this is why the script works because it there's not any – it's not Shakespeare – you know, it's not, but that's no, the thing. Not it's not, all. it's not pretending to be Shakespeare. It, it's, it's doing exactly what it is. If you can put yourself in John McClane's shoes, um, and while you might not be a man of action like he is or choosing to, you'd like to think that if you could, you would basically be thinking about how you're having a really bad day, you know? And yeah, <laughs> you like, you'd be very, you'd probably be very cynical. Um, you know, you'd want to kind of have like a, like a one-liner on the bad guy. Like he's cool, but he's not outrageous. Come back to the coast. We'll get together. We'll have a few mm, laughs. Yeah, I mean, that, like that's that's how I'd feel. Like everything in the movie. Well, I think one of the lines uh, or one of the ideas that I, I kept coming back to when people were pushing back against Die Hard as just a, a great film or like an all-time great. I mean, because I don't. It's very hard for me to imagine, except for maybe really young people who are maybe. Uh, spoiled by the fact that we have a lot of good movies these days. I don't know, whatever reason. But most people realize it's a great movie, but all-time great, people put push back and say, ah, but there's this bad part, or there's this dumb line. And I would argue that even the bad parts basically fit perfectly and make the film better. I, I agree. Well, the things that I don't like about this film tend to be nitpicks. They're, they're just little things, like like like... What is, he says that line in German, something scheiße defenster or something. It basically is shoot the glass. Yeah, shoot. And, and he, then he, he, it's like the guy, the German guy can't understand him, so he has to say it in English. Shoot yeah. the glass. Like it's little things like that that, make, yeah. I, you know, in the grand scheme of things, who cares? Well, I mean, it's, there, there are some dated things in it now. You know, like, like the computer system looks like corny and dumb. Um, there, there, there's all kinds of like a little bit of hokiness to some of the characters. 
the the computer hacker terrorist bad guy is a, is kind of a little corny, but like the fact that he kind of hams it up actually oh, makes Oh, he's he's so perfect. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Like if you put him in almost any other film, it seems ridiculous. Of course, yeah. But like, you know, when he's like um, the quarterback is toast. Oh my god, the quarterback is toast. Like that's yeah. such a that's such a terrible line, but like he delivers it and it works with his character so perfectly. Well, that, but I mean, when have you ever heard a nerd not have terrible yeah, know, exa- jokes exactly. or lines? Like, Come on. They know exactly when to when to put the put the lines with each character in uh and, well, you didn't bring me along for my charming personality. Exactly. Like he's he's a little condes- <laughs> condescending, kind of a little bit of a jerk, you know? Guess something yeah, yeah. used to being picked on, but no knows why he's there. Uh, it, uh, I don't know. It just, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love everything about him. I'm, I'm sorry if anybody can't find him funny or, <laughs> or like him. I, I, you know, I like him as a bad, like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. obviously a bad guy. You know, he, he actually, you know, gets people hurt and killed, but <laughs> um, as a character, you know, what, what's interesting, uh, one of the things I was reading about earlier today in preparation for this show is that, um, uh, Alan Rickman almost didn't do this, which would have been a travesty because my goodness, look what look what what a great villain yeah. that he gave us. But but he almost didn't do it. He didn't want to do an action film. He told his agent no, and he then then his agent said, well, "Well, read the script. I think you'll be you know I think you'll be pleasantly surprised." So he read the script and he said the reason that he signed on, at least from what I read, I you know and, and quotes and stuff, is that he saw these characters, especially these these uh, people of color. Um, and you know uh, the, these characters that had real things to do. They were smart and intelligent people. Um, you know, obviously with uh, Sergeant Al Powell, mm-hmm. and then you've got the uh, the 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 uh, hacker guy is non-white as well. And I mean, like that was a sort of thing where he got on board. And and of course, also he looked at his character and he said, "Oh, this this guy, he's a suave, sophisticated, <laughs> and smart guy. And who better to play that than Alan Rickman?" Yeah, <laughs> it really was fantastic. Yeah. So um, we, we thought, I'm, I'm, we I'm thought, really glad he decided to do that. Well, so the the thing with the thing with not only Alan Rickman's character uh, or with Hans Gruber, ultimate villain, is that like he plays it perfect. Like, um, it's like this was it's almost like accidentally perfectly cast. Um, as cool as it was be to see like particular people in particular roles, every 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 actor brings these people to life in a way that I care about every single character, even the ones like that are barely in it. Even, even yeah. uh, I mean, cause like Argyle, like Argyle is, yes. in the, Argyle's in the movie for like a total of what, like six minutes, maybe if that it's probably more like five. Um, and he really doesn't have a ton of lines, but it, the the script is is written well enough that in that that short trek from the airport to Nakatomi Plaza, you care about Argyle. Like you know totally. how, you know how many times like I just want to sit like I want to go uh, I want to take a movie that I've seen and like grab the screenwriter and be like just watch this scene and see how much more I care about this guy in a three minute car ride than I care about your protagonist for an hour and a half. Like, <laughs> are you talking about arrow? <laughs> I'm talking about so many things. That's the problem. Um, I, I mean, I wish I didn't have to mention, you know, uh, or, or make that comparison at all, but I feel like there's so many films today that are, that are, that are 
almost puzzle piece together. I mean, given because people see him as long as people are going to see him, why would they change? Uh, they, they show up, they say, Hey, this is Steve. Who's Steve? Oh, you don't know Steve. Steve's the number one person at thing and stuff. And he graduated from whatever university <laughs> top of his class. Oh man. Uh, Steve sounds awesome. And like, like that's supposed what, to make me care about Steve. What, what film was it? There was some film I saw you discussing with somebody else on Facebook and, and it, you said, well, it made a bajillion dollars. So they'll make another one. Like I, it was just like, huh. oh, and you're, you're right. You're, you're it's Transformers, right. man. That's every Transformers. Transformers. Movie. That's what it was. And it's just like it made a bajillion dollars. So here comes another one. It's mm-hmm. like, ah, which I know you like Transformers more than I do. But uh, man, you gotta you gotta admit it's it's just th- th- that's exactly what um, the Die Hard franchise avoided until the fifth one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, to mostly to the fifth one. Mostly, mostly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, okay, so um, since I have you on the show, uh, Fizz, um, I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of the thematic element. You, you, your, your podcast is called Real World Theology, so mm-hmm. you examine movies from this perspective of what does the story have to tell us. You know, entertainment is not mindless, uh, to, coin a, to coin a phrase. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, tell, tell us a little bit about how you feel about the story of, of this. Uh, w- why is this story so good? What makes it more than just your standard action flick? Well, I think on a, on a base level, it's something that we've already basically been talking about. At least I've been talking about. And that is um, with any story, you want to be able to make a connection. And it is really, really easy, more so than like we've mentioned, within the, with a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone, to connect with uh, Bruce Willis as an everyman character, uh, which is which is weird because usually the characters that, that end up being surrogates for the audience are sometimes hollow, um, and they basically they 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 don't have any uh, almost any onus in their own story. They, they think about mm-hmm. a, a Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker, more or less, especially in the first Star Wars movie until the end, he's basically walking around asking questions trying to figure things out and that helps the audience and being whiny. Yeah. And being whiny, but, but that helps the audience <laughs> understand the world they're in. Um, it, you, you kind of feel like you connect with Luke Skywalker because you, you don't know anything about this world either. And when he asks a question, it's the question that you're asking. So it's done, it's done really well, but for, for the most part, he's a surrogate for the audience. Um, I think there's a connection similar to that with John McClane's character, except he is still kind of cool. Um, He's not whiny. So we like him because he's cool. We like him because, uh, like I said, we don't feel like he's an unattainable hero. Um, So we feel like maybe we would emulate that again. Obviously, hopefully none of us are in a hostage situation in a tower, you know, in L.A. But, you know, we like, hey, he's just a dude trying to do the right thing. I can get with that. Um, so ultimately, ultimately, I think that is the, that is the easiest in, um, outside of this. I love this as a Christmas movie because if I could, if I could tell this story in a different way, um, I would ask that you use your, like use your allegory or imagination a little bit, because I think there's no new stories. There's just repackaged stories and this packages can be beautiful and awesome. I completely agree with that, by the way. Yeah. So if I tell you a story, I say, Uh, TJ, um, once upon a time, there was a, a lovely lady named Holly McLean and she had chosen worldly gain above her first love. 
But John McClane, <laughs> her first love, pursues her across the country. He desires to bring peace to a fallen world of Nakatomi Tower. He, desire, he desires to bring reconciliation to his family. Uh, despite being attacked not only from terrorist demons, but also by the people who swore to serve and protect, I mean, we can think of them as the Pharisees of law enforcement. Nice. Uh, in, in the end, uh, we, see, we see him remove a Rolex watch, symbolizing the victory over the mm-hmm. idols of this world. Mm-hmm. And in the process, dispatching the evil one to great depths below. And ultimately, John McClane is a savior, not only to Holly McClane, but to all the people in Nakatomi Plaza. Well, that sounds like a familiar story, Fizz. Where did it come from? <laughs> yeah, so, Tell me more. <laughs> so you have a story like that that is going to con- that I think you can tell. Um, and, and from my personal uh, belief system... Uh, or my personal worldview, my personal theology, you know, what, however you want to define it. I, I would say that's a story that resonates with me um, because of my religious beliefs. But I would say that that also resonates with almost everyone else because there are general themes there in, in the religious story and in the story that we see, again, like nothing new under the sun. We, we love the idea of um, just because someone walks away, uh, someone's willing to recklessly pursue them. We love the idea that they're willing to oppose evil um, uh, for for love, uh, oppose evil for justice. We love the idea that, um, uh, or actually, we we revel in the idea that there are bad things in the world that need to be overcome. We also understand sadly that there are good intentioned uh, entities in the world that often do bad things. Like we see like, you know, the FBI do in this film or even, you know, the the Los (laughs) Angeles police department. Uh, But we also love to see things like friendship. Um, Die Hard is one of the few movies that has uh, a, that pictures male friendship in a positive, um, deeper way than just like talking about the weather or playing sports together. Uh, with with uh, well, you're, you're, with you're talking specifically about uh, Sergeant Powell. Yeah, and, with uh, with Al and John McClane. Yeah, so we see that we see uh, the de- the depiction of uh, a male male relationship that is uh, that is that goes deeper than sports. Um, but, but doesn't turn, please tell me more. Yeah. But doesn't turn, you know, like weirdly sexual or anything. It just proves that Uh, two dudes can care a lot about each other. Um, which, which I think is something we don't see depicted very well in a lot of films. Um, we also love thematically the idea that someone, um, forsakes like wealth and power, uh, for human connection. And ultimately, Ultimately, like almost every story, this is every Marvel movie. We love to see the good guy win the day and throw down evil. So absolutely. So you get all of the, you know, I appreciate you letting me talk at length about, about this. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. Yeah. So, so when I think about what, what does Die Hard do? I, even if I'm, even if I'm looking at a really good 
Marvel movie or whatever, you know, pick a movie that's winning an Oscar or whatever, I usually get two, maybe, sometimes three kind of thematic things that I can see people really connecting with. But but Die Hard, it runs this gamut. It, it it hits a lot of it, you know it checks a lot of boxes it hits a lot of buttons it, it it's connecting with people on all these different ways some some very surfacey some in ways that people probably don't realize they're really enjoying well even going back to the 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 uh, christological allegory like how many people realize that's that that's what they were watching before you pointed it out well, I, like, mean, I mean, I knew it was there, but I don't even know if I went as far in my head as you took it. And it all works pretty well. I mean, when you think about it, you know, Yeah. well, I mean, it, you know, it, like I said, some of it is a bit of a stretch and some of it is like not even close to a stretch. And, you know, the 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 Christ figure is something that uh, sells a lot of tickets, whether people like Christ himself or not. Like I said, I'm, I'm not here to like bang a drum specifically for Christianity. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that, well. Whether you believe it or not, the idea is awful attractive. And if you don't believe that, go look at box office numbers. Sure, yeah. You, you know, your films where the heroes are going to save the day are the are the ones that do well. And then we can see that, like you said, with Marvel. They're, they're killing it right now. And why yeah. is that? Because they're doing superheroes. And you got DC over here. They're doing, uh, what did they just get? Suicide Squad, where they had all the bad guys coming out and, and, and like... And I suppose they, their numbers were fine too, but everybody pretty much agrees that Suicide Squad is just not as good as what Marvel is doing with their films, yeah. you know. And and the same, yeah. And and, and oh, man, I don't even want to get started about yeah, Man just, of Steel just, and just ugh. just take that train and bring it on back, man. You don't. Yeah, even... we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna derail that train right now. <laughs> <laughs> so so Die Hard, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would so, ask I would ask you this, TJ, not to yes. not to take over your show. No, 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 no. He's good. But, I I wonder because um, I feel like I have talked about it at great length now. Like, what is it about Die Hard that makes you want to watch it every year? What well, are you connecting I, uh, with? I love the down to earthness of uh, of John McClane, which and this is kind of the the uh, interesting paradox that happens when you have these stories that have a Christological figure, such as John McClane. In many ways, he is, but in other ways, he's also us. He's also a character that we connect with. Like when he in the beginning of the film, near near the beginning, he he's washing up, uh, you know, in, in the bathroom with Holly there talking to him, and they get into a fight. And immediately, as soon as she walks out, she has to go, you know, rally the troops or whatever mm-hmm. with with Takagi. And as soon as as soon as she walks out, he starts beating his head against the door frame. He goes, "Good going, John. Real smart, real good." <laughs> you know, like there's this self awareness. Like he realizes instantly that what he did and what that was stupid. It doesn't matter how right or wrong he was or she was. What he did was dumb. He got into an argument right away with her, and it just was. And, and there's a sort of thing like you know. I, I, I know neither of us ever have ever been in an argument ever with our wives, but but Never. if we were to get in an argument with our wives, just theoretically, let's say, um, you know, what what tends to happen is we're like, that was stupid. Why did I say that thing? Why did I get upset? It was nothing, you know, and so you connect with him on this level and you're like, yeah, that is stupid, John, but I do the same thing, mm. you know? So so there's that, that you connect with John McClane. There, there is these, this whole, like every time... Uh, John McClane saves Holly and, you know, he gets finally gets the watch off her wrist and plummeting down to the depths goes uh, Hans Gruber, like, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, <laughs> for a night, film in 1988. Uh, I just, you know, it, this is, you know, I sometimes I even just like, yes, you know, out loud. It's just, it's just 
I love to see that triumph. Everything we've been talking about. I don't know that I have anything new to add that that you haven't already said, but that's what I love about this film. And obviously, I do love the uh, the down to earth nature of the action film. Like so, so many action films, especially these days, you got all the CGI. Everything is all you know too. <laughs> it's almost too clean and pristine. And this film, it, it's you know because of the era it was made in, it was all practical. And there's a certain way that this film is shot. It's not, it doesn't feel frantic, but it's not slow. It doesn't feel, I mean, it all feels just right. Everything about it, you know, the, it just, it's just a great, it's, it's a great directing of action. John McTiernan really nails it with this film. Mm. So these are things I love about this film. (laughs) See, that's great. And, and I, I can't imagine that anyone listening to this episode who's actually seen this film is not agreeing with you. Uh, 100%. And, and, I, and I would say that it also breaks the mold in, in the action film because, well, if you want to compare it to films today, how do they make an action film where the world is not going to end? Like, how, how do they finally make a, a film with stakes that could be personal? You know, like we see so many action films and it's like, oh, they're going to shoot a nuclear weapon somewhere. They're going to rate. I mean, you know, as much as I personally like Age of Ultron for various reasons, the oh, well, we've lifted an entire city out of the ground and we're going to use it as a meteor thing to do. Yeah, Ultron's pl- plan to, to 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 use a phrase that his uh, creator used. Not a great plan. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, almost every action film seems to have to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah. this film, I think, is it, it succeeds because it's isolated. You don't see him, uh, you know, even even with Die Hard with a Vengeance. You know, he starts out like in one place, but he's go he has to go around to all these locations, and you know that that's kind of okay. And when he goes to the bank, that kind of makes sense. But then when he has to get in a tunnel and drive under, like he, he he's starting to go places, and it's and it's it's becoming like this really large affair and, and it's starting to be citywide as opposed to just a, a dude trying to get out of a room basically. Um, yeah, like it's, it's simple, but that doesn't take away from the stakes. They actually find a way to make the film intensely personal yet incredibly weighty. And I think that's hard to do um, because it I, is, I think people sure. are like, Oh, I saw it. So make it bigger, you know? And um, like, uh, ironically, Joss Whedon said when when he was trying to make an Avenger, a second Avengers film, he was saying that the the problem with a lot of sequels is people think that in the sequel you have to go bigger when actually you have to go deeper. And the ir- irony with Die Hard is that it starts really deep, um, so much so that I think the subsequent uh, installments had trouble actually plunging back to that depth. Um, because we really never, we don't really see a lot of, uh, a lot of the personal really hit home in the rest of the Die Hard franchise. No, and in fact, uh, in some ways, in some measurable ways, not a lot, but in some measurable ways, immediately, uh, you know, like Die Hard Three, kind of. I, I think it was Die Hard Three when we were, when they were divorced, right? That's when they were going through the divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it kind of undoes the successes that happened in the first film, and to some extent, you're kind of like, ah, right in the gut. Don't do that, man. <laughs> Uh, we we don't want to like this proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that John McClane loved her enough to sacrifice himself and and do whatever it took to get her back and now they're gonna get a divorce in the third movie I mean I, I hated that 
And and so there, there there's a a sense in which not only do these these other films not get as deep, they undo some of the the deepness and successes of the first film in mm. some ways. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. That's what. Uh, okay, so uh, again, and I feel like we're I feel like we're talking about the other Die Hard movies a lot, and that's kind of my fault. And I know we're supposed to mostly be talking about no, Die fine. Hard, but comparatively, I understand why they did that, and I would say, well, I have a theory about why they did that. I hope it's why they did that because it makes more sense if my theory's right. Obviously, I think that. Um, so, Die Hard with a Vengeance, <laughs> and then the subsequent Die Hard films, the, their their whole way to bring you in is one you can never you can never assume someone's seen the previous films. That's true. If someone shows up to the theater, you have to be able to tell the story in in, in a contained film, um, with very very few exceptions, um, and even then, you still want to have a way to bring people in. So, in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Or with, like I said, live free or die hard, all these things. What they're doing when they're showing, um, they keep bringing in family members so he can keep having broken relationships. Because what they're trying to do is do what we had perfectly done in Die Hard. And if you look at the one of the first scenes, if not the first scene, I can't remember uh, specifically, but I'm pretty sure the first scene in Die Hard is the scene where they're on the airplane, right? Yes, it, it opens. Uh, kind of pulling out of this zoom where you see him kind of gripping the handles and then you see this guy over yes. there and then you see Bruce Hill, Bruce Willis's face and he's selling to make fists with his toes. Uh, I, yeah. I always think there's something before that for some reason, but so in that scene, you characterize your protagonist. Okay. And I, I don't know if Cinefix has done one of their top 10 lists about best character introductions, but I can't imagine uh, John McClane's character induction could be any more perfect because we see two things happen in this one scene. At no point do we really have what I told you before, which I would consider a cinema sin or cinema laziness, really, which is, hey, I'm John McClane. You don't know who John McClane is? John McClane's this guy and this guy and this guy, which we actually get in some later Die Hard movies. <laughs> right. Why don't you know who John McClane is? That yeah. John McClane? Yeah, that John McClane. What we get in Die Hard is a scene that has two interactions. The first interaction uh, with John McClane, uh, he instantly con- we instantly connect to him because he obviously has a fear of flying. So the first thing we learn about John McClane, uh, just through his actions um, and his first interaction, is that he is not a superhero. Mm-hmm. He has fears. Um, so he is automatically flawed and if there's a character that's flawed, we can automatically as an audience connect with him. So we're like, oh man, but if they left it there and he got off the plane, we'd be like, ah, this is some weak guy and we wouldn't want to connect with him. But the very next thing is when he flips what he just said on its head, because, because the, the passenger's like, oh, I do this all the time. You know, rub your toes in the carpet. It'll make you feel, trust me, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then when John McClane gets up and he flashes the gun and he's like, you know, I'm a cop. Trust me. I've done this. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So we see that he's kind of a, he's kind of a smart aleck. And we kind of like that because it kind of makes him cool. Right. Um, And, and um, he, besides flying, it kind of looks like there's probably not a lot else that scares him, but he never, he, he never had to say that. So we have a guy that's cool. He's flawed. But he's kind of a man of action, um, and he's not. A, he, he's got a little bit of a little bit of bite to him. 
So instantly we connect with this character. And that is one of the most perfect ways to introduce him because you know everything you need to know about John McClane from that that plane scene. So in th- like in three minutes, we know everything we need to know about John McClane. As opposed to later Die Hard movies when they can't write anything that great. So what they do is <laughs> they, they say, oh, what happened to what happened to Holly? I thought you saved her from Nakatomi Plaza and y'all were going to be together forever. They go, oh, it just didn't work out. So in that interaction, we're supposed to go, oh, it really stinks for John McClane. I feel sorry for him, which I think they think is getting us back on his side but just makes him kind of sorry and that we don't want to be like John McClane. Right. Because he's just someone who's broken. He's not really cool and he's not really kind of a take no prisoners kind of guy. He's just kind of sad. And I understand why they do that. Like I said, because they're trying to give him characterization and they're trying to set context. But I think it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same effect. And I say all that very lengthily to say that one of the one of the first things that you said on this episode DJ I think kind of sums it up a lot and and it's just really really well written I I would take I would take this script and model almost any part of it for like if you're writing a screenplay and you're stuck at any one particular uh step in a movie be like what did die hard do <laughs> I, I mean, cause I don't, I don't think it's a bad question. Um, I think there is a reason that there's countless callbacks, um, and cultural references to die hard in almost every, almost every TV show that is not like a serious drama has a die hard episode. Um, you know, it's just it's interesting. It, it's just, it's a thing. It's a cult. It's super culturally relevant. It's, culturally penetrated and i think it's because it set the bar and yeah yeah do you have a do you have an example of any specific episodes in mind uh, so uh i'm a big fan of brooklyn 99 right now uh okay the, my my wife and i are um huge big pretty big andy sandberg fans um and brooklyn 99 we think is one of the funniest current comedies on tv um and uh jake peralta andy sandberg's character is obsessed with die hard it's, so it's like a running joke through the entire series. Um, and then he keeps making fun of uh, his buddy all the time because they always they always say the the famous die hard line wrong um, instead of, you know, yippee Kaye mother what lover. Um, he they keep calling it other things because it's on <laughs> network television, so they can't obviously say the line. So they keep being like yippee kayak other buckets. And he's like, <laughs> you know, it's. It, and he's like, that's not right. He's like, oh, I'm pretty sure I nailed it. You know, things like that. It's, uh, I mean, there's, uh, there's, uh, examples of this in community another another all time great comedy. Uh, so like, like I said, there's all, all the time you'll see people slowly referencing someone in a comedy will show up in a wife beater and that's all they'll need. And you know that they're doing like a John McClane kind of, uh, kind of riff. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's great. Uh, and I think it deserves it. I, I think, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And there's a reason that you don't have to set up that joke with anything else, but walking in with a wife beater. And you're like, I know, you know, I know what they're trying to do. So someone that I follow on Twitter and I enjoy following them. I enjoy what they have to say, but they said something very offensive to me today or not to me, but, but I saw them tweet it. 
and they said that uh, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. This is the truth. What would you say to this person? Well, <laughs> some people just just want to watch the world burn, TJ. <laughs> you know, like it's it's like trying to convince me that Shane Black doesn't write Christmas movies, but Christmas isn't every single one of his movies. And, and I think if you look at lots of the films that are actually considered Christmas movies, besides the ones that like directly have like Santa Claus in it, they're, they're not really Christmas movies. They're just normal dramas set at Christmas. So if that's, exactly, if that's, exactly. The, if that's the same thing that's set here, like at least be consistent with your argument. So like one of my favorite examples is for example, the movie that we're going to be talking about on real world theology for our Christmas episode, which is it's a wonderful life. Like go mm. and go and watch. It's a wonderful life, which is considered a classic Christmas movie. And I'm completely fine with that. But if you didn't know it was a classic Christmas movie, like except for the very end where it kind of happens to be Christmas, like, is that really a Christmas movie? Like, like anyone who tells me Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, I say, prove to me it's a wonderful life is a Christmas movie. Exactly. Yes. And, and if they can do that, I can probably use every single a, a example or every single reasoning they use for It's a Wonderful Life to argue for Die Hard. Um, but I've gotten older. I've gotten hopefully a little <laughs> bit wiser, a little bit more mature. And that's just not an argument that I want to have anymore. I, I, sure. I, no, but we're, we're only having it theoretically on a podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, that, that's kind of where I would come from. And that's where I come from with most Christmas movies. Um, like I said, thematically, I think this, this has anything that you would find in a good Christmas movie. Like I said, we Absolutely. went, we, we, we thematically went through it. Heck, it has probably more direct, uh, Christ, uh, you know, uh, uh, allegories and allusions than your average Christmas movie, especially ones about like Santa or whatever. Like where's the, the, where are all the Christ allusions in miracle on 34th street, miracle on 34th streets, of course, a Christmas movie because it has Santa in it. Santa. Oh, it's you, got Santa. You know? Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Is that what makes it a Christmas movie? Yeah. So, <laughs> so like I said, I think if you take uh, many movies that people think are, are definitely Christmas movies and you hold them up to the same candle and you, you or you hold Die Hard up to that same candle, that same criteria, you're going to find that Die Hard checks off almost, you know, basically every single box. So, you know, they can think that all they want, but all they're doing is lying to themselves. There you have it. This And, and I, I am on the same page with you. I consider this a Christmas movie because it is set at Christmas and because it has the themes that we've already recounted that make it so good and applicable to Christmas. And it works very well that way. Man, we didn't even get to half the stuff on my list, and we're already at the 45-minute <laughs> mark. Um, I just want to say that this movie is endlessly quotable, uh, and it, there's just some great quotes in this film. Uh, you know, Some of them are unfortunately uh, a little too colorful to use a lot, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, let's see you take this under advisement, jerkweed. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's such great iconic stuff going on in this film. Uh, love it a lot. Um, now, Mikey, I, I kind of because of the way that you have uh, already put this in the document, I kind of know where you're going with this. But um, how how do you feel about this uh, this movie in conclusion? And what is your kind of rating of this film? <laughs> uh, what did I say? I said uh, best movie is best. Best movie is best. <laughs> um, well, like I said, I, you basically asked me at this beginning, and I, I think uh, I can't really sum it up any better. But um, again, can't remember my top 100. I have to pull up that. I don't have it handy, but it, it's. It's game changing 
in the action genre. Yes. Like I said, look yes. through history. It, it changes. This is how people like Brad Pitt get to go on and become action heroes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I'm not saying that's a good, like a great thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying like, <laughs> like it changes our mindset about what an action hero can look like. Um, so it, it's, it's pivotal. It's incredible. It's a lot of fun. You know, like I said, you don't want to probably watch it with kids that are too young because it does have some language and and has a little bit of nudity. And it's violent. In it. Yeah, it's got it's got that little bit of nudity in it, and it's and it's just, a, and it's just pretty, like you miss it if you blink. You yeah, know? Um, and and like I said, it is it is pretty violent and um, not non graphically so. So you know, you don't necessarily want to watch it with young kids, but I think you know, I'm a, a well. A, a relatively mature teenager would probably enjoy this more than like you have even words for much like I did when I first saw it when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of can't wait to show this to my oldest son who is just not old enough yet to see it. He's only 10 and I just, no, not yet, but I can't wait to show it to him. I figure, I don't know. We'll have to see 15, 16. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> well, so 17. That's, that, that's the thing. Someone, uh, one, one of the guys in, um, in our real world theology uh, uh, discussion, kind of community. He actually posted something recently on Facebook that, that was like a picture of like a sad Kermit the frog or something and said, you know how I feel when I show my favorite movie to people and they don't pay attention to my favorite yes, parts. Yes. Or oh, it's so true. Like th- that's how I feel about showing Die Hard to like, um, like a 20 something right now. Uh, just because of the pace and the, the, um, the colorful lights, <laughs> I don't, like the 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 stimulation that we have from action films. I almost feel like they yes. would be bored watching Die Hard, which would make me yes. really sad. And I'm almost afraid to watch Die Hard um, with anyone that is not like probably 30 plus. Um, and, and I hope I'm wrong about that. But there <laughs> there is a part of me that like loves this movie so much um, that I would hate I would hate for people not to not to be able to appreciate it on the level that I do. And, and like yeah, I said, yeah. not, not in a, not in a, there are plenty of movies that end up being, uh, Hey, it's, it's good because it's so bad. Like this, this isn't good because it's so bad. This is good because it is legitimately one of the best action movies ever. hundred um, percent agree. So do you do this thing you, when you show somebody a movie like die hard, or I, I had an experience where I showed somebody star Wars for the first time, mm-hmm. believe it or not, episode four, but do you do this? You, you like, you're, you're trying to look at them out of the corner of your eye yeah. kind of without them knowing you're like, well, how are they reacting? Did they get this thing that I, that's so great. You know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it was so, I showed somebody who had never seen star Wars before star Wars. And they were literally like, I'm, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. They were on their phone half the time and this and that. And they're a younger, uh, uh this is a younger person. And, and I said, so what'd you think? Oh, it was great. I loved it. And I'm like, but how, yeah. but how? <laughs> well, I mean, anyway, that, yes. That, like I, said, I would say that that's, that actually probably speaks to a conversation that is, I think is going to start happening a lot more and more about how people consume film. There's already articles about people trying to watch Netflix at higher speeds so they can, ah, you know, and, and like I said, no. I, I'm not trying to have that conversation, but I think that speaks to, um, a larger conversation where, I mean, and I do this too. I, I, I have um, a young son now and I find that my time to watch film, even though film is something or watching film and reviewing film is something that I do with a lot of my time. Uh, I, I still find I have less and less of it. So almost every time I watch a movie now at home, I'm multitasking. Um, and mm. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty uh, myself. So <laughs> I understand, but I think there's some films 
that they're worth putting your phone down. They're worth closing the laptop. I, um, I would say if you're watching something, be engaged. Like my my philosophy is be engaged in what you're doing. If you're not engaged in doing it, it's not worth doing. That, that's kind of my philosophy, and I know that's very anti millennial. And I'm 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 in the millennial age range, but mm-hmm. I I'm at the beginning of it. So <laughs> it I, I feel like maybe I'm maybe not quite a millennial, but I I just I feel like so many people miss so much stuff. And I'm not. This is not an indictment of you. I my my one kind of thing that I do is I will listen to certain podcasts at uh at a higher rate. It's usually one mm-hmm. one point five, just because I want the information. And uh, <laughs> I have a lot of podcasts that I'm listening to. But in general, uh, I would say, and even with my podcasts, I'm still engaged. So my my point is, be engaged in what you're doing. If you're not, it's not worth doing. Yeah. And that's my philosophy, certainly for watching something. So, well, I mean, sidetrack. I, I, sorry. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I think I think it's probably decent advice in general. Be present, um, and you uh, you have examples of you trying to fit more into a busy life. I've got examples of me trying to fit more into a busy life, but oh, I, all the time. I, I so I never I would never I would say that none of us are ever going to do this perfectly. But I think being present is going to help us enjoy every every film a little more, even bad films. Um, it, you'll probably enjoy it a little more when you if you can see everything um in in almost every case i i say that with a little bit of hesitation but um well so so what happened the reason i really got serious about this is i used to do this thing where i'd be so busy i'd be worried about this client or this or that and i wouldn't completely shut off and i would go watch a thing and i didn't remember much about the thing that i was watching and so i didn't actually enjoy it (laughs) so so that's when i said enough enough i'm when i when i watch something or when i whatever it is that i'm doing i want to be engaged and i want to be present i want to do it so Mm -hmm. anyway very serious uh (laughs) sidetrack well okay so Uh, important (laughs) okay so back on track i would say that if i if I, I think I did rate this movie, I can't imagine um, part of me because it's an action movie wants to not give it five out of five stars. Um, but well, I, uh, I, I think I think when it comes to action, you don't get better than this. This is the benchmark. So uh, I think we were doing five. We're doing five stars, right? Is that what? We yeah, mean? you have you have ten out of five in the outline. Well, which, okay, yeah. I have ten out of five in the outline <laughs> because let's be real. Like this is this is better than two action movies. So. Um, yeah, well, there you go. So, uh, yeah. So I would, I, you know, as high of a rating as I could give this would be whatever rating I could give it. A plus plus plus, eight thumbs up, you know, five stars. <laughs> you, you have eight thumbs? Man, we got to talk about this. I've actually got one feedback. and a half thumbs, um, actually. But uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I give it my full endorsement. This is something so. I didn't know. I'll send you a picture. All right. Okay. Well, so um, I don't feel like I really need to summarize anything because all my thoughts, either you said or I said. And uh, (laughs) like I said, I didn't even complain about this movie. That's how much I love it. Like the one thing I said could be a complaint. I said I didn't have as a complaint. It just was a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so, um, I love this film. Like I I have a hard time calling any action film like five out of five, but this is just like right there. It's like Mm 4.999 out of five. Like it's, it's just top notch. You can't really get better than this. I always enjoy watching it. It has not gotten old at any point yet. Uh, I, I love coming back to it every year and just soaking it in. And uh, I, I love the the hero that is John McClane that is not like uh, out of this world, unattainable, unachievable. Like strangely, this is one thing I didn't say. Strangely, um, the, this film feels in many ways much more realistic than 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 other you know than other action films. Like I know that. 
some of the scenarios are unbelievable or whatever, but like nothing so outrageous happens in this film that you can't connect with it. Oh yeah. Like, like, you know, I love Marvel films, but let's be real. You don't connect on that the same level with, with the Marvel films because a lot of the stuff, like, you know, you got, you know, you got Stephen Strange on this other world reliving a time loop. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you just can't, there's no way in the world you connect with that. Um, so the, this, this movie is, con- you know, you connect with it and yeah, I just, I love it. I love it to death. Five, you know, it, for all intents and purposes, five out of five stars. Yeah. Love it to death. Uh, so that is going to bring us to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for being here and, uh, enjoying this movie with me, Fizz. It was a pleasure <laughs> to have you on. Man, <laughs> and I, I, I just, I just loved listening to hear, hearing you talk about it. Well, I, like I said, I, Anytime anyone wants to invite me on a podcast where I get to talk and gush about some of like uh, one of the best movies ever made, uh, I consider myself lucky. So thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. Would you like to tell the fine folks that listen to this podcast, and they really are good folks, can you tell them <laughs> where to find more of you? And especially the, the, the stuff that we talked about in the middle where we got strangely for an episode of Retake, very theological, like people can find a lot more of that on your show. Where can people do that at? Yeah, so – I have a podcast called Real World Theology. You can find us at realworldtheology.com. That's R-E-E-L, World Theology. And what we do, kind of like TJ saying, we we talk uh, more obviously from um, our particular religious point of view, and we, but we mostly focus on theme and connection because we want to know why film not only is successful at the box office, but why you know why people are buying a ticket again. Why are people going to go see it again? Why, why is it winning awards? You know, th- there's got to be something besides like, oh, it was technically X, Y, and Z because they're telling stories and we believe that story is powerful. And, and, and ideally the entertainment isn't just mindless, even though, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's fun to go to the theater and maybe turn your brain off for a little while and just watch Bruce Willis be awesome. But <laughs> like I said, uh, ultimately we're connecting with it for a reason. And I think script writers know that. I think producers know that. I think directors know that. And I think the ones that we think, most highly of the, the Scorsese's and the Spielberg's. They know that too. They know story is powerful. They know that when you watch a film like whatever, you know, Die Hard, that there's something that you're connecting with, um, whether you're trying to or not. So we, we try to look at that and I, I think we do a pretty good job. We have a rotating uh, panel of people and um, we had a Die Hard episode, I think like I said, two Christmases ago. So uh, if you wanted to start somewhere, that'd be a great place to start. We, put out episodes three times a month and uh, I would love for you to come find us there or on Facebook. And I will put uh, Fizz, if you send me a link to the Die Hard episode, I will put it in the show notes. Uh, right. And uh, if not, I'll try to look it up. <laughs> but if you send it to me, that'll be easier for me. <laughs> so, Just yeah. And we both of us love talking about films and uh, we love to continue the conversation. So if you want to continue the conversation about this film or any other topic really with us or with me or with, with Fizz, you can do that on Twitter. Uh, t- uh, Fizz is at Fizzification on Twitter. Uh, that is F I Z Z. Can, can you spell that for us? Let's see. Fiz- <laughs> uh, F-I-Z-Z-I-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. There you go. Something like that. I started to spell it, and I'm like, I just got myself in hot water. I can't spell yeah. that. <laughs> I, I have to write it. I can't actually say it. That's, yeah. not, that's not my brain. So, well, it's, it's, so, it's phonetic. So. And I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with, um, uh, well, our schedule's a little bit in flux, but it's either going to be Rogue One or While You Were Sleeping. I'm trying to move Rogue One. If I can get everybody lined up, I want to move Rogue One up a week because I'm so excited. I'm stoked about that. So that's probably what we're going to be talking about next week. So stay tuned for that. 
Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you later. Bye.